would hurt you. I want to ask that question again because I want you to want you to let it sink in. Have you ever been hurt? By the people that you never thought would hurt you. If you are visiting with us at Hope through the summer, we are studying together straight through the book of Psalms. Daily, we are reading the Psalms together as a church family. We have a reading plan on our website. You can go and just jump right in with us every day. We're daily reading the Psalms together through the summer. And each weekend we are preaching out of the Psalms that we've been reading the previous week. As we come into David's life in the Psalms this week, that question that I opened with is exactly where we find David. He has been hurt by the people that he never thought would hurt him. Two of the closest relationships in David's life, and we don't, we don't have time to unpack the whole context, but if you want to read it, if you want to read the context for where we're reading in Psalms this morning, go to 2 Samuel this afternoon, start in chapter 15, read all the way through to chapter 18, and that is the story from which the psalm that we're going to be reading this morning is birthed. Here's what's happening. David's own son, Absalom, has decided dad no longer deserves to be king. I want to be king. And Absalom is putting together a plot to assassinate his own father. David's closest counselor is a man named Ahithophel. Ahithophel, it is said of him in 2 Samuel chapter 16, that when he spoke to David... It was as if David heard the very word of God. We're not talking about some people that were kind of shady. We're talking about some people that were the closest relationships in David's life. His own son and his closest personal counselor. And they hurt David so deeply that the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 15 that he went up to the Mount of Olives and he wept as he went. David is now running for his life from people who were supposed to be the closest to him. It's one thing to be hurt. It's something else to be hurt by the people you never expected to hurt you. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, where do we turn when life hurts? We all know what it is to be hurt, right? We've all been there. Maybe like David, 
life brought hurt (coughs) into your path through a relationship. Maybe it was somebody that you knew, somebody that you were close to. Maybe it was a son or a daughter. Maybe you're in here this morning and your heart is broken because there's a son or a daughter in your life whose actions right now are hurting. They are crushing you. And it's all you can do this morning to put on the face to be around other Christians because on the inside you are dying because you've been hurt. There's some of you here here today, and it's not a son or daughter. It's a husband or a wife. And you're hurt today. Some of you, it's a relationship with someone. You're single, and maybe you've been in a dating relationship, and that relationship didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to, and you were misled or deceived, and now you're wounded and you're hurt. For some, this hurt is not through people. Sometimes it's other circumstances. Some of you today are you're wounded. You're hurt because of a financial crisis in your life. Over the last two or three years in this city, in our country, but in this city in particular, a lot of people have been hurt through financial crisis. And today, you're like David. You are crying out to God from a wounded heart. You are hurt. For some, it's a situation in your health. Maybe you were here last Sunday and everything was fine. And this week, this week, you've gotten a diagnosis that you had no idea was going on. And today, as you sit here, you've come in here today saying, oh God, I need a word from you because I'm hurt. Where do we turn? When life hurts. Well, I'm grateful that God allowed us to see into the lives of men like David. One of the things I love about the Bible is the Bible doesn't just show you the polished Sunday morning version of people. Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad when you read the Bible, you can find people and go, man, I know what that feels like. (laughs) David's in the middle of one of those hurts. And in Psalm 62, we find an example from David's life of where you turn when life gets hurt, if life, life hurts you. If you have your Bible, open to Psalm 62, and I want to read the first eight verses of this psalm. Now, the first seven verses of this psalm are David's testimony. But then in verse 8, he changes his tune and he gives us an exhortation. He speaks to us out of his own life. Let's look at it. Psalm 62, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, these words are up on the screen. You can follow along. Here's what he said. My soul waits in silence for God only. There's some of you sitting here today before I read any further. That's where you are. God, it's like it's silent. And I'm waiting to hear only from you, God. 
David says, my soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you? You hear David crying out from his situation and his circumstance with his son Absalom, his close friend Ahithophel. How long is this going to continue? He says, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence, they have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They're lying about me, God. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. That doesn't happen anymore, right? Verse 5, he repeats verse 1. My soul, wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Now there's David's testimony. Now he's about to speak a word to us. Trust in Him at all times. Oh, people, pour out your heart before him. Now I want you to read this last line out loud with me. God is a refuge for us. Let's say it again. God is a refuge for us. Say it again like you mean it this time. God is a refuge for us. Where do you turn when life hurts? Listen to me. God, say it with me. God is a refuge for us. That's where we turn. That's what we learn from David today. God is a refuge for us. So I want to ask a couple of questions and then we're going to be finished. Here's the first one. What is a refuge? It's not a term we use a lot today. It's not a very common term in our culture to use the term refuge. I don't remember the last time, even in a sentence other than preaching here, I said, you know, I need a refuge today. It's not a term that we use often, but as I, as I thought about this term this week, my mind drifted back because I studied this word and looked at it and looked at what it meant in Hebrew. And, and, and my mind was taken back to when I was a little bitty boy. Up until the time I was five or six years old, we lived in a little community called Madison, Alabama, a little rural farming community. I'm from Alabama. You know that. I've told you that many times. And I know when you think about Alabama... The first thing that comes to your mind is great college football. I know that's the, that's the first thing you think about when you think about Alabama, right? And, and the second thing you probably think about, if you think at all about Alabama, you think about Southern rock, right? Good Southern rock and roll that came out of the state of Alabama. But, 
But if you've ever lived there and you're from there, one of the things that you think about when you think about Alabama in your top four or five is the word tornado. (laughs) Alabama as a state has recorded more F5 tornadoes than any other state in the United States of America. Growing up there as a little kid, you get exposed to the reality of... It's kind of like if you're from California with earthquakes in Alabama with tornadoes. You just, it's, you're just used to it. It just is a part of your life. I mean, every other week at school, it felt like there was a tornado drill where you were asked to come out in the hall, get down on your knees, put the book over your head. They, they taught you how to deal with tornadoes. And I'll never forget as a little bitty boy when I was five or six years old, these images are just burned into my mind of that little rural community where we lived, in that area, everybody had one of two things. They either had a basement, and I know for you Las Vegas natives, you're thinking, basement? What is a basement? What is, <clears throat> what is that? It's this part under your house that they can build when you don't build it on concrete like we do here in Las Vegas, right? When you can actually dig down into the ground. They, they, so everybody either had a basement or they had a storm shelter. The basement was attached to the house, underneath the house. The storm shelter was usually out in the backyard, somewhere out in the field, dug deep down into the ground, and it had an entrance door on top. And as, as kids, I remember we'd go play in the basements, and we'd play in the storm shelters, and had a lot of fun you know, doing that, because you could find some interesting stuff out in the country, down in the storm shelters. But as I thought about that storm shelter, and thought about that, because for us, that was a place of refuge. There were some things that I thought about that I want to use to kind of share this principle with you today. Four things about a refuge. Number one, a refuge is a place of safety. The first thing that I remember about those storm shelters or basements is that they were a place where you felt safe and secure. Inside the house, the walls were made of things like sheetrock and wood. But in the storm shelter in the basement, they were made of concrete and cinder blocks. It was secure, it was safe, it was strong. The tornado could rip through your town and it would waylay the houses, but the basements and the storm shelters were a place of safety and security. And here's what I understand about refuges. They're only as good as they are strong. I'm going to say that again. They're only as good as they are strong. If your place of refuge is not strong, it's not very much good. David knew God as a strong place where he could run and find shelter. Did you hear the phrase David repeated twice in this psalm? He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. I love those words. David uses the word rock here. Now, we hear the word rock and we think about desert landscaping, right? But this word rock is not a word in Hebrew that means a small rock or a pebble or something you would find in your front yard. This in Hebrew is the word for the largest kind of rock. It's better translated probably a boulder or a large rock. You hear the imagery, David said, my God is a boulder, he's a large rock. 
David said he's a stronghold. The word stronghold in Hebrew, it means a fortified place. It's that that image of the the castle with the walls and the towers and the drawbridges and the moats. You you can't, it's, it's impenetrable. You cannot get through. Then he uses this word, I will not be shaken. The word shaken means to move or to totter. Means to fall. It's used of the idea of wavering or or wobbling or losing your footing. David's been hurt. David's been wounded. And David said, listen, I want you to know my God is a large rock. He is a stronghold. I can run to Him. And although they're coming against me, my feet will not move. I will not be shaken. To give us an idea of the strength of God, David uses this word shaken in another place in the Bible. Let me show it to you. Psalm 104 and verse 5. It says, He established the earth upon its foundations. That's a pretty strong God. So that it will not... What's the next word? Totter. It's the same Hebrew word translated shaken in Psalm 62. David said, God is so strong, God is so powerful that he established the earth on its foundations. And let me tell you what he said. The earth, it's not shaken. It's not shaken. Don't believe all this stuff you read about the planet falling apart. Our Father established it on its foundation and it will not be shaken until one day he decides to shake it. And when he decides to shake it, it doesn't matter how much hairspray you use or don't use. It's going to shake. Listen to what John MacArthur said about the strength of God when it comes to this particular issue of our planet. Look what he said. Look at it on the screen. MacArthur said, our globe is tilted at an exact angle of 23 degrees. If it were not so tilted, vapors from the ocean would move north and south and develop into monstrous continents of ice. If the moon did not retain its exact distance from the earth, the ocean tides would inundate the land completely twice a day. After the first flooding, of course, the others would not matter as far as we would be concerned. (laughs) If the ocean floors were merely a few feet deeper than they are, the carbon dioxide and oxygen balance of Earth's atmosphere would be completely upset and no animal or plant life could exist. If the atmosphere did not remain at its present density but thinned out even a little, many of the meteors which now harmlessly burn up when they hit the atmosphere would constantly bombard us. We would have to go underground or in meteor-proof buildings. Things do not happen in our universe by accident. They did not happen that way in the beginning. They are not going to happen that way in the end and they are not happening that way now. God is the sustain God is sustaining the universe. He himself is the principle of cohesion. The universe is a cosmos instead of a chaos, an ordered and reliable system instead of an erratic and unpredictable muddle only because Jesus Christ upholds it. And listen to me. That is the God that is our refuge. When life hurts, that's who we get to run to so that we can know our feet will not be shaken. A refuge is a place of safety because our God is strong. If you believe that, say amen. Let me give you a second one. A refuge is a place of supply. The second thing that I remember about all those shelters is they were stocked with supplies. 
I mean, as kids, we'd have a blast in those little shelters because you could find all kind of neat stuff. There were candles and flashlights and bottled water and blankets and all kind of critters that would get in the blankets. There was, there was all kinds of stuff in there. They, they, they were full of supply. Listen to me. Here's what I want you to hear me say. When David said our God is a refuge, he's saying our God is an abundant supply for everything we need. Let me show you some verses in the psalm. Psalm 50. Look at verse 10. For every beast of the forest is, say it out loud, mine, right? The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is And you hear what he does here? He says, the world's like a box. He said, I not only own the box and all it contains, the world and everything in it. Listen, whatever you and I need is in that box. And he owns it. And he's our father. And he loves us. And we don't have to earn our way into his favor. By the grace of Jesus Christ, we have been given the favor of God in our lives. He is our supply. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 16. He said, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. The word fullness here is a word that means abundance or satisfaction. The the word of God, the psalmist said, in your presence is the abundance of everything we need. Here's the point. Whatever you are facing in life, hear me, He is enough. He's enough. One of life's greatest hurts for me personally happened in the first church that I ever pastored 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I went to pastor a small church in a small town in Tennessee. And the town that we were in only had 4,000 people in the town. After three and a half years, the church was exploding with people coming to Christ. Over 350 people had been saved and baptized into that church in about a two and a half year period. We grew to running on some weekends close to like a fourth of the town. Six, seven, eight hundred people would come and attend our services on the weekend. There were weeks where people would drive up on the parking lot, fall into conviction, walk in and say, would you tell us how to be saved? God was just moving mightily. The problem is I was young, real young. Some of you think I'm a young preacher now. Listen, 20 years ago I was a young preacher. And we were... um, I didn't do everything just right. I didn't, I didn't have all the wisdom that I needed at that time to really lead through some fast growth. And it created some real conflict between me and the existing leadership stru- uh, structure in the church that didn't like the growth because things were kind of getting out of control. And long story short, at the end of three and a half years, they asked me and the entire staff team to resign and leave. They let us all go. Now, for three and a half years, I had given my life the best I knew how to do everything I could to teach the Word of God and lead that fellowship, to be on mission with God. And In the end, it all came unraveled. Lies were told about my family. It was painful, hurt. People that we had been there with and walked through some difficult things with turned on us. And in, in one night, we went to a church service. And my wife remembers it. It was a 
It was not a pretty sight. And by the time that service was over, we were packing boxes and putting our life in boxes, not knowing what's next. Pulled our kids out of school and put our house on the market the next morning. Didn't know where we were going. Didn't have any savings at that time in our life. Didn't know how how we were going to even make ends meet for the next week. I was in seminary at the time, driving 160-mile round trip four days a week back and forth to seminary. So many unanswered questions in that moment of our lives. Let me tell you what we learned in what was one of the darkest moments of my life in ministry. I, I mean, it was dark. It was to the point where we were done in ministry. I can get my paycheck somewhere else and be involved in the kingdom of God. I don't have to get paid by church people that are going to be that mean. I didn't have to do that. We were done. That's where I was emotionally. I was done. I didn't want anything to do with it anymore. But, but let me tell you what God taught us. When he takes everything else away, he's enough. The greatest lesson of our lives. And let me tell you something. 20 years looking back, I couldn't have learned it without it. I needed the hurt. There was some stuff in me that God needed to do. That Listen, I would have never moved to Las Vegas, Nevada to preach to 18 people in my living room. I was going up the church ladder. I was going from that church to a bigger church to a bigger church. There's no way I would have even entertained the possibility of preaching in my living room. But God had to break me and leave me with nothing but Him to come to the greatest discovery of my life. He is enough. And listen, when you get to the place where Jesus is enough, there is a freedom and a joy. It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. It doesn't matter what's in your bank or what's not in your bank. It doesn't matter whether your health is good or bad. When Jesus is enough, listen, He's enough. He's enough. And here's what's got to happen for every one of us. we got to get to the place where Jesus is enough. Not Jesus and a promotion. Not Jesus and all the bills paid. Not Jesus and two cars in the garage. Not Jesus and all my kids living right. We've got to get to the place where Jesus is enough. And when Jesus is enough, there's freedom. As a refuge, God is a place of Supply. Let, let me give you the third one. As a refuge, God is a place that's reliable. Third thing I remember about those storm shelters is everybody knew where they were. And they didn't move. That's very important when everything else is moving. Go back to the tornado illustration. When everything else is moving, it's important to know there's a place that's not moving. When everything else in life is falling apart, it's important to know that there's a place that's not falling apart. When everything else is is coming unraveled, it's important to know that there is a God that is sitting on the throne and He is unmoved, He is unchanged, He is unshakable, He is sovereign, and He is in control. Our God is reliable. David knew God as a refuge that was always available. 
Always available. We read this morning. I had another verse I was going to use right here. But this morning in Psalms, Psalm 68 verse 19. I hope you read it. If you didn't, you're about to get blessed by it. Psalm 68, 19. Look at it on the screen. David said, blessed be the Lord who, say the next word. That is so good. He daily bears our burden. Here's what that means. His shop is always open. He doesn't take any days off. He doesn't go on vacation. God is faithful. We've had over 100 church planters and their wives on campus this week, some of them in our service this morning. You know what I learned when God called me into church planting? First lesson I learned, you can have the highest highs and the lowest lows all in the same 24 hours. That's church planting. Highest highs, lowest lows, all in the same day. And God gave me a verse, for those of you in the room that are in the arena of church planting, God gave me a verse early on that was, it's now my favorite verse when talking to church planters. Here it is. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Here's what it says. Faithful is he who calls you. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Oh, but don't miss the last half. And he will also bring it to pass. He's not just faithful in the calling. He's faithful in the finishing. And listen, that's not just true for church planters. That's true for parents. That's true for husbands and wives. That's true for for singles. That's true for business owners. That's true today for school teachers. That's true for firemen. That's true for police officers. Listen, that is a truth. God has brought you to himself, and he's faithful in that call. But let me tell you what else he's faithful in. And he's faithful in bringing it to pass. We can trust him. He is reliable. Let me give you the the fourth one. A refuge is a place you must go. The last thing I remember about these little storm shelters is there was this thing they called a tornado siren. I don't even know where it was, but I just know you could hear it. Whenever the tornado would come, somebody's job, I guess, in our town was to push the button And the siren would go off. And you could hear it all over the county. I still to this day, I don't know how that worked, but you could hear it everywhere. This tornado siren, this would go off. And if you didn't happen to hear that one, that one would come on the TV. You know that emergency broadcast annoying little noise that they've created that just drives that. that, that. And, And here's what you knew. When you heard the sound, you needed to go. The refuge was available, but you had to go. The refuge didn't come to you. You had to go to the refuge. God is a refuge for us. David said it, but the question is, are you turning to him? So, so here's the, the second question I want to ask and answer. What does it look like for me to do that? What does it look like for me to go to God as my refuge? Well, David gave us two statements. Before he said God is a refuge for us, he said two things. Number one, trust in the Lord at all times. Here's the first thing. Because God is my refuge, I can trust him. At all times. 
to go to God as my refuge is to trust Him in every situation in my life. The word trust in the Bible could be defined this way. To depend with confidence on the character, ability, strength, and truth of God for everything in my life. That's trust. To depend with confidence on the character, ability, strength, and truth of God for everything in my life. Do you trust God? Based on David's experience, here's what David is telling us. You and I can trust God with everything in our lives. David said he's a safe refuge. He is a strong refuge. He is a reliable refuge. He is an abundant refuge. David said trust him with everything. I don't know what the hurt is in your life right now. I don't know where the wheels are coming off. But here's what David said. David said trust him. Trust him. You say, well, how can I be sure that I can trust Him? Well, let, me, let me try to answer that by asking some questions. How many of you believe God is loving? Let me see your hand. Just hold it up for a second. You believe God is loving. Look around you. Just about every hand in the building. You can put them down. How many of you believe God is wise? Let me see your hand. Hold them up for a second. Look around you. I think it's everybody again. You can put them down. How many of you believe God is powerful? Let me see your hand. Hold it up for a second. Look around you. All right, you can put them down. Not only is God loving, the Bible says in 1 John, God is love. Not only is God wise, but in Colossians, the Bible says in Him is all wisdom. Not only is God powerful, but the Bible says in 2 Peter and in Isaiah that God is all powerful. Now, we all just said, I believe He's loving, I believe He's wise, I believe He's powerful, but the Bible tells us something even greater than that. He's not just loving, He is love. He's not just wise, He's all wisdom. And He's not just powerful, He is all power. Now, based on that, let me give you three statements of conclusion. Since God is love, He desires only The best for us. That makes sense, right? I mean, we love our kids, so we desire the best for them. But we're not just, we're just loving. God's not just loving. God is love. So he desires only the best for us. Let me give you the second conclusion. Since God has all wisdom, he knows what's best for us. It's one thing for you and I as parents to desire the best for our kids, but we don't have all wisdom. We don't always know what's best for our kids. We do the best we can to try to understand what's best for them. But the Word of God teaches us not only is God love, He desires the best for us. He has all wisdom, so He knows what's best for us. Since God is all-powerful, He can bring about what's best for us. Even if I knew what was best for my kids, I can't make it happen. 
God knows what's best. God only desires what's best. And God has all the power and authority to bring about what's best. Listen to me. If all that is true, if you believe that's true, say amen. Amen. If all that is true, we can trust God with every situation in our lives. Listen, when the wheels are coming off and when it looks good, when things are falling apart and when everything's put together, we can trust God. And here's what David says, because God is a refuge, we can trust God with everything in our lives. So here's, here's, here's a question I want to ask you. Do you trust God with your situation? You know what you brought in here, relational, financial, physical, health, job, whatever that hurt is, do you trust God with it? Do you trust Him with it? David says if we're going to go to God as our refuge, number one, we've got to trust Him with all things. But I love this second part. Don't miss this. Because God is my refuge, I can be honest with Him about all things. Do you hear what David said? Trust him at all times. But then he said, pour out your heart. The word pour out here in Hebrew is a word that they would use to refer to taking liquid and pouring it out onto the ground. Dumping it out. When I was a a little boy, my brother and I shared a toy box. We had a toy box that we kept all of our stuff in. And man, we could pack that toy box and get that lid down because when it was time to clean up, everything just went in the toy box, right? There was no organization to it. Just get it in the toy box and one of us sit on the lid until we can get it to close. But then when my brother and I went looking for something in the toy box, usually we weren't looking for anything in general. We were on the mission to find something very specific. So when my brother and I were looking for something in the toy box, here's how we went looking for it. We, we dumped it out. Right? I mean, you just take the toy box, you take the lid off. Our lid was detachable, glory to God. And we would take the toy box and we would just turn the thing over and dump it all out on the floor. That's the picture of here of pouring it out. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. Look what he said Turn the vessel of your soul upside down. In his secret presence. And let your inmost thoughts, desires, sorrows, and sins be poured out like water. Hide nothing from him. For you can hide nothing. When you pour something out. It's all or nothing. When we dumped over that toy box, we didn't get to pick what came out. It's all or nothing. When you pour something out, it it makes a mess. When you pour something out, it's often very revealing. We, We found stuff in the toy box we weren't even looking for. But you couldn't find it without pouring it out. Let me give you a life-changing reality. Trusting God at all times doesn't mean you can't be honest with God about all things. Let 
If you're hurting, tell him. You don't have to hide that. David said, God's your refuge. Trust in him, but pour out your heart. If you got questions, you can ask them. Listen, there's some moments where God and his grace and patience has been great with me because I've had some questions and some hurts. But here's what David says, because God's our refuge, you can can do that. That's okay. If you're angry, you can cry to him. You don't have to hide that. And let me just, let, let me... Let me give a word of practical exhortation, all right? Please listen to this. Facebook is not your refuge. Listen, listen. Stop dumping out your toy box on social media. Stop. Don't do that. Don't do that. You have a better refuge than that. Social media is not coming to your rescue. But our Father is. He is a safe place. Listen, don't pour that junk out there. Go home, get in the secret presence of God, and pour out your heart. If you're angry, tell Him. If you've got questions, ask them. If you're hurting, lay it on the table. Trust Him, but be honest with Him. Why? Because God is a refuge for us. He's a refuge. It's okay to be honest with God. Listen, some of you need to realize that today. It's okay to be honest with God. If you don't understand, tell Him you don't understand. Maybe He brought that whole situation into your life just to get you to a point of honesty with Him. Let me, let me, let me close with, with one last question. For whom is God a refuge? David, David said it this way, God is a refuge for, what did he say? Us. It's important. He didn't say God is a refuge for all. God's a refuge for us. He drew a circle and put himself in it. <laughs> said he's a refuge for us. Who's us? Us here is David referring to the children of God. Those who call him Father. A few years ago I was reading Psalm 9. And in Psalm 9 verse 10 it says this. It says those who know your name will put their trust in you. And and when I first read the verse my heart rejoiced and said yes God that's so true. Because I know your name I'll put my trust in you. But then I thought. What about all the people that don't know his name? They hurt just like I hurt. Who who do they go to? God's a refuge for us. So there are two applications there. Number one, if you're here today and you don't know God personally, how do you know God? God made a way through his son Jesus. God sent his son Jesus into this world as God in the flesh. He lived a sinless life. And on the cross, Jesus 
took all of your sin and all of my sin on himself. And on the cross, Jesus died for our sin. But he didn't just die. He rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sins. And listen what the Bible says in John 1.12. It says, look at it on the screen. But as many as received him, who's him? Jesus. To them he gave the right to become the children of God even to those who believe on his name. Every person on planet earth can become the child of God through the provision of Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. I can come to know God because of Jesus. If you today don't know God and you don't have a refuge that you can turn to, listen, today you can know God through the person of Jesus Christ. And the second application is this. Shame on us who are in the us. Us always implies there's a them. God's a refuge for us. Shame on us if we're not telling them. God is a refuge for us.